Hi, this is Jim Walden. I'm senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Temple City, California, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us. In these challenging days, if you're looking for hope and encouragement, you found a good place. We hope God's Word inspires you, speaks to your heart, and grows your faith. Enjoy the message. So today's message is the Lord is the God of now. The Lord is the God of now. Aren't you great? And I began to think, how do I conclude my teaching or leadership season here? I said, Lord, what do you want me to teach? By the way, just had a blast going through the book of Revelation with you. I kept asking Jesus to return before I got done so you wouldn't have to listen to me. You could listen to him. But he didn't. We spent about three years before that going through the book of Genesis. And I hope to teach on a podcast weekly coming up. I want to go back to the book of Exodus next and go through that one. But I thought, what do I teach here? I got one shot, and you all want to have lunch. So what do I do? These verses I love, especially verse 6, Philippians 1, 3 to 6, it really is my heart for you. I thank my God every time I remember you. And in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from what? The first day until now. Being confident of this, you need something to be confident in today. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I just want to remind you, the Lord is not done with y'all. He's not done with this church. This is not the end of the road. It's not the last stop. Because God is the God of now. Isaiah wrote it this way. Forget the former things. And if you forget Jim Walden, great. Do not dwell on the past. Thousands of years ago, God said, see, I am doing what? A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And as painful as it's been for me, I'm trusting God that he's doing a new thing in my life and in yours. And I just want to remind you, an unchanging God reveals himself in a changing context. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? But an unchanging God reveals himself in a changing context. And church, I just felt like I needed to warn you about this. You never want to be where the Lord was. You never want to be where the Lord was. And we all have those days, Justice. Uh, hey, if you've been baptized, raise your hand. See your hand? Look around, Justice. See all that? We all look back to those days and think those are the good old days. Or you remember when we used to have Sunday night services and Wednesday night prayer meetings and Awana or whatever. And when things get tough, we often want to go back. Friends, you don't want to be where the Lord was because he's the God of now. Jesus even said, my father is always at work to this what? Very day. And I, too, am working. And you and I know most people, most churches, and a lot of pastors hate change unless it's from a vending machine. And today you don't get much anymore, do you? But I thought the Lord laid on my heart three biblical characters who battled with change. They wanted things 
to stay the same. When things changed, it was difficult. Let's deal with them today. I titled the first one, yeah, but this change is painful. And guess who I'm talking about? That's your first fill in the blank, Joseph. Joseph in the Old, in the old Testament, technicolor dream coat. You probably all remember this guy and the key to his life. Think about it. By age 17, by age 17, he was hated by his brothers, stripped of his clothing, shoved into a pit or a cistern, sold for money to distant relatives, lost his family. His brothers lied to him about him to his father, Jacob, forced into a foreign country, sold a second time, no friends, no rescue attempt, falsely accused of attempted rape by his boss's wife, thrown into the king's prison for years, forgotten by the guy he helped, the chief baker. How do you think he liked all that change? Psalm 105 says when they sold him, they bruised his feet with shackles and his neck was put in irons. But what made the difference with this guy? And what's going to make the difference with you, church? What's going to make the difference with you, man or woman? I think the key is in Genesis 39. It says that the Lord was what? With Joseph. And he prospered and he lived in the house of an Egyptian master. The Lord was with him. And here's one of the great promises of scripture. Jesus says, never will I leave you or forsake you. And he's Lord over all. Here's what I find fascinating. We talked about it briefly in Sunday school this morning. How would you have liked to have been Joseph to have all that catastrophe hit you? You lose everything and you've never been to Sunday school. You've never heard a sermon and you have zero Bible. You realize back in Genesis, they didn't even have the words of God that we have to lean on? Joseph never heard that my God shall supply all your need or all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And this word Lord, you can see it's a capital, small capital O, small capital R, small capital D. In the Bible, in the English Bible, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, the great self-existent one that wasn't known by that name until the book of Exodus when Moses stood before a burning bush and God said, tell them, Yahweh, the I am sent you. Joseph didn't even know that name, but he lived as if there was a Lord. I wonder when people watch my life, do they believe that there really is a Lord? I find it completely fascinating how he could live a life like this. And he, you look, when you read about Joseph, he'll just say, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? But he lived like there was a Lord. In Genesis 39, when he's thrown into a prison, what was the difference? The Lord was what? With him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Hey, where are you today? What dungeon? What prison? What foreign land? What difficulty? What addiction? What mess are you in? Will you turn to the Lord? He's not the one that turns from us. You know my old favorite story, my dad used to tell it too, of the old couple. They had the big old 1950 Buick with the bench seat. 
And they're driving down Sunday afternoon for a country drive. And all of a sudden, vroom, a convertible flies past them. And the driver has his girl's head right next to him as they disappear over the knoll. And it's quiet in the car. And the wife sitting way over on the passenger side said, remember when we used to sit like that? And the husband said, I haven't moved. <laughs> if you don't know what a bench seat is, ask your mom and dad after the message. The Lord is still calling you today, you. The Lord is calling you. God doesn't have just a special plan for Jim's life. God has a special plan for your life. You may say, I've done too much. No, nope. He forgave Paul, the chief of sinners. He bore all the sins of the world. You may say, I'm too old. Nope. Psalm 92 says, the righteous will still stay fresh and green in their old age. They'll produce fruit proclaiming the Lord is righteous. There's no wickedness in him. What made the difference? Joseph believed by faith that the Lord was with him. And was at work. You may not know this today, but God is at work in all the circumstances that you are facing today. And look at Joseph's response when, if you remember the story, and I'm sorry I don't have enough time to go through the whole thing today, but you remember now he's 30 years of age and he's number two in the world. And the brothers have to come to Egypt to try to get food. And when they stand before Joseph, they think he's going to kill us. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was, because it was, I bet for years from age 17 to age 30, Joseph's trying to figure out why. why. Why is God allowing? Some of you are saying today, why is God allowing this? Why has this happened? Let me show you in three stories today why it happened. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. See, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When Jacob, their father, died, they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so wickedly. Now, please, please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph, what? Wept. And his brothers came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. How many people have wronged you that you would love it if they fell at your feet and said, I'm your slave? How many of us would say, good? <laughs> Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Listen to this, church. Am I in the place of God? You know what our problem is? We do. We put ourselves in the place of God. So when things don't go our way, then we want to kill everybody who got in our way. But God is at work. God is a genius master plan he's had going on since the foundation of the world, and that is to win people to him. You intended to harm me. He was honest with them, right? He didn't sweep it under the rug. But God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done. Again, what is it? The saving of many lives. Don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The Lord is still at work saving people from sin and hell. He still is. He still is. 
God's been at it even in the days of Samuel. This is like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered. So we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so a banished person may not remain estranged from him. That's what he did with Joseph. That's what he's going to do with the next guy we're going to see. Listen, if you've been wounded, the Lord still has a plan to use it for his glory. Do you hear that? The Lord still has a plan to use it for his glory, and it's to reach people for his kingdom. Because you know who I've seen is the most effective at reaching people? Wounded people. People that have, so to speak, been to hell and back. And God has carried them. And they just say, how great is our God. Second, first one is, this is painful, I don't like it. Second category is, yeah, but I don't like the, thing, the way things are working out, Lord. You ever said that? I don't like how this is where I said it in this season. I don't like how this, I don't like I have to leave. I don't like I have to take off that senior pastor mantle. I don't like it. This is number two, Peter. Number two, Peter. See, Pete is interesting. Peter had seen the Lord speak. Peter had hosted Jesus in his home. Peter had seen Jesus miraculously cure his mother-in-law. But Peter hadn't gotten straight with Jesus yet. Luke 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. What's that mean? Washing their nets was code that they were done what? When you wash your nets, because see, they would fish all night. They're washing their nets. He's teaching <laughs> scrubbing their nets. Hey, he's a good teacher. Hey, that's a good point. Wow, he knows his Bible. <laughs> and he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, right? And asks him to put out a little from shore. But Pete's like, okay, yeah, I can wash my nets while you're out. <laughs> and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking... He said to Simon Peter, hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus, I just finished cleaning my nets. I just finished cleaning my nets. But Jesus is saying in code, I want to lead your life. How many of you have nets that you catch things with? Money, success, future, power. And you're cleaning them, and somebody's wanting to mess with them. See, here's the problem. In the heat of the day, the fishermen over knew that over there in the Mideast, they know that the fish go deep because the hot Middle Eastern sun just bakes that lake. And so the fish go deep. They swim closer to the surface when the sun goes down. That's why in the morning they were cleaning their nets because they used to fish all night. And people back in that day got paid every day. It wasn't every other week, and it wasn't direct deposit. No matter what your work does, if you worked that day, you got paid. If you didn't work that day, you didn't get paid. And if you caught no fish, guess what? Not only you don't get paid, but your business is in trouble. In other words, daytime's the wrong time to go fish, Jesus. I've washed my nets, leave me alone. Some of you have nets in your life that Jesus is wanting you to pull back out, and you're like, I'm done. It's the wrong time. 
Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught what? Anything. Good news or bad news? So now Jesus wants to go fishing at the wrong time of day. And I don't like how things are working out here, Jesus. Just leave me alone. The great preacher A.W. Tozer used to say this. When you read scripture, you need to use holy imagination. And we're not told how fast words are said. We're not told the enunciation. You know. I wonder if, if Simon Peter said, you know, Lord, uh, we worked hard all night. And we haven't caught anything. Was there a pause there? Was Jesus just still staring at him? So he finally has to say these great words. Here's, here's the greatest words you can ever utter. But because you say so. Have you come to that point in your life you say, Jesus, you say so. Because we're great at listening to other people. You know what has two thumbs and loves what Jim Walden thinks? This guy. I love listening to this guy. The key is, are you listening to the Lord? But because you say so, I'll just let down the nets. Now, what does that imply? When they had done so, by the way, you think God has a great sense of humor? Watch this. They caught such a large number of fish that they could supply Long John Silver for a year. <laughs> no? They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to... See, because God is in the process of breaking us without destroying us. Moses stood before a burning bush, but what was unique about that burning bush? It was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. The leaves weren't falling off of it. There wasn't ash underneath. It was symbolic of a life on fire for Christ, but it's not destroyed. I got a question. What are you on fire for today? What are you on fire for? What is your greatest passion? The nets begin to break. I love this part. So they signal their partners, hey! <laughs> the other boat, do you know who the other boat was? We're going to get to it in a moment. To come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they went ka-ching. Is that what it says? Do you know what? You know what happened when they filled both boats full? God says, I'm not only going to tear your nets, I'm going to sink your boat until you listen to what I've got for you. And look at this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now, look, look, it's not a bad place to start, right? You know how many Sundays I've stood up here and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I can't do this. Why did he say that he fell at Jesus' knees? Why didn't he say he fell at his feet? You know why? Because there's fish <laughs> up to here. And Peter's his face down in the fish at Jesus' knees and says, go away. For Peter and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and those are the buddies. That's who my brother and I are named after. The sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. By the way, long story. I think they're cousins. Long story. And Jesus then said to Simon, 
You are such a loser. Jesus said to Simon, you'll, you'll never make it. No, what did he say? What did Joseph say to his brothers? Do not be afraid. And once again, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to what? For the saving of many lives. God is still the God of the now. Remember, Joseph, you intended to harm me, but God accomplished what's being done now, the saving of many lives. So they what? They pulled their boats up on shore. You know what that means in the Greek? They put their boat out of commission. They said, I'm done with my way, Jesus. And they left. I checked the Greek word everything. You know what it means? And here's the big key. They followed him. Number one, it's too painful. Number two, well, I don't like how you're ordering things, Jesus. Number three, yeah, but I want us to stay together. This has been my cry. Kiana knows. I went to bed last night, tears streaming down my face. My like, God, I don't want to leave. This is the third guy, the demoniac of the Gerasenes. Now, this is fascinating because we don't know this guy's name. We know Joseph well. We know Peter well. I can't wait to meet this dude in heaven because I got more stories about the question than what's answered in the text. But he's the demoniac of the Gerasenes. Who is this? The disciples and Jesus went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. That's, if you're familiar with Israel, the Sea of Galilee is up north, Jordan River, Dead Sea in the south. Sea of Galilee on the southeast side is an area that was not loved. And Jesus crosses from northwest to southeast, and when he got out of the boat, one man approaches him. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Luke records for a long time, he had never even worn clothes. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Swear to God, you won't torture me. For Jesus had been saying, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. So Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus. Remember we talked about this in Revelation with the abyss? They begged Jesus, send us into the, into the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. If you've never been told, it's the worst case of suicide. I'm sorry, never mind. Ever in the, I know. Don't quit my day job, right? And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out 
to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were what? Ah, there's always fear somewhere, isn't there? And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus, get out of our land. You know, it's interesting when you go to Israel this day and you go to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, there's not much there. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, what? Begged to go with Jesus. Was this conversation like this? Jesus, don't leave me now. I don't want you to leave. Let's stay together. Jesus, think of the crusades we can put on. Think of the platforms that we can build. And some of your disciples are pretty good musicians. And we'll sing how great is our God. And then I'll share my testimony. And then Jesus, you preach. You know how many people we can reach together? Jesus did not let him, but said, go to your oikos. How many of you heard that word oikos before? Go to your oikos and your family. Your oikos, is again, we're going to talk about it. It's the people God has put into your and my life. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Just go tell them what God has done for you. Got a question for you today, church. What's God done for you? And are you telling, just telling people what God's done for you? They don't have to agree with it, right? They don't have to admire it, like it, experience it. But God just said, you'll be my witnesses. Just tell people what God has done for you. Why do we have to have evangelism classes in the church? What's God done for you? Tell people. There it is. Jesus never got his disciples together and said, now, I'm going to give you, everybody pull out your notepad. I'm going to give you the five steps of evangelism. This guy never went to Sunday school. This guy never went to seminary. And Jesus says, you just go back to your oikos and tell them what the Lord has done for you. That's it, church. Why did God do all this? Again, to reach people for his kingdom. What happened? So the man went away and began to tell in the 10 cities, the Decapolis, the 10 cities in that region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were what? Amazed. What's your oikos? It's roughly, it's, it's roughly 8 to 15 people, Tom Mercer says, of High Desert Church, which the Lord has supernaturally and strategically placed into your world so you can tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's it. Jesus didn't say, you'll be my convincers. You'll be my convictors. He says, you'll be my witnesses. And what's a witness do? Well, here's what I saw. Take it or leave it. Our mom and dad were such witnesses to us. Am I right, Jay? What we saw God do in their imperfect lives and I would just watch and listen to them and say, i got to have what they have. 
Did the guy do his job? It's a typo on your outline. I apologize. I put the wrong reference in there. I don't know why, so cross it out and put in Mark chapter 7 and 8. Some of you remember one time Jesus fed 5,000 people. In Mark 7 and 8, a second time, he feeds 4,000 people. It's in this region. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember Joseph said, it's going to be the saving of many lives. Remember Peter, you're going to catch men. Joseph was faithful to his call. Peter was faithful to his call. And this possessed guy, who now is possessed by the Holy Spirit, was faithful to his call. Because it says in Mark 7 and 8 that when Jesus showed up to feed the 4,000, scores of people show up with their sick people just begging Jesus to touch them. The first time you went to that area, one guy, one whacked out guy met Jesus. Jesus heals him and sends him back. So the next time Jesus comes back, crowds. You know what God's ready to do with you? He's ready to send you back to your oikos. And just say, tell him. Tell him. Because what? We saw earlier, being confident of this. That means in the Greek, being totally persuaded. That he who began a good work in you. What's a good work mean in the Greek? It means pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable. That's the work God wants to do in you. He'll carry it on to perfection. We're not perfect yet, are we, church? We're not there. But that's because God's still at work in you. Because the Lord is not done with y'all. Isaiah 42, the Lord says, See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. You may be in pain. You may not like how it's working out. You may not like separation. But God says, I'm doing a new thing. And guess what? God never told me how to run a church. God says, you tell them to listen to me and I'll show them how to run a church. A long time ago, actually, just about nine months ago, when the Lord started moving in my life. I heard a man preach. I'd only heard about him. It was at a TM event, Second Baptist Church, Santa Ana. His name's Bishop Kenneth Ulmer. At one time, he pastored the church that bought the old Lakers Forum, that church. I had heard a bunch of things about this dude and wasn't quite sure what I thought about him until I heard him speak that day. And God started to move. I remember coming home, Deanna, and sharing these notes with you on my phone, remember? And you just sat, sat there with your jaw dropped in the bed as I said, we're going into a new season. And I'll never forget, you know, I pray for like 50 plus pastors every night with a text. Bishop Kenneth Ulmer is one of them. I told him, I said, I'm quoting you today. And on that day, he said, the degree which we try to go back will be the degree to which we will miss the Lord. Because God is calling us to come forward because he is in the now. I just wonder if you're willing to see the unchanging God reveal himself in a changing 
context. I want to read one more thing to you and then I'm going to pray while I pray. When I'm praying, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because I picked this one last song to sing with you because I just love it. But the words of this song speaks to me so much. Come on, church, let's not hang our collective heads. Rise up like Joseph, he didn't quit. He knew the Lord was with him. Peter didn't quit. He knew God was calling him. The demoniac didn't quit. He went to his oikos and he won the day. Put on the armor of God. Hear the call of Christ your captain. Weak can say they're strong. Our battle cry is to love reaching those that are in darkness. We are to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. So arise, church, shine, because your light has come. Arise, church, and shine for the risen sun. Lift your eyes. We are his radiant bride. Arise, O church, arise. Would you stand with me as we pray? And Ben, you come on up when you're ready. I'm going to ask you folks just to sing this song with me with all your heart. Father, I thank you. You're the God of the now. I'm so glad you're not done with me. I'm so glad you aren't done with this church. I'm so glad your kingdom will never end. I'm so glad you are still reaching men and women, boys and girls, with the good news of Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to rise up? Would you help us not to miss our time? Would you help us to reach this generation that this world will never be the same? And God, if we're in pain or we don't like the way things are working out or we hate separating, God, we got to rise. Help us to rise, oh church. Arise in Jesus' awesome awesome name. I'm so glad that I place you in God's hands. And church, as you rise, listen to his call. He's not done with you yet. And as you follow him, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his beautiful face that you and I are going to see someday to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. And as you follow his call and the Lord lifts up his face, oh, church, may almighty God keep giving you his peace. I love you all. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can subscribe and share with your friends. To support our ministry, go and click the link in the description to give online. To connect with us, to know more about who we are, or if you have a prayer request, go to our website at templecitybaptist.org. We would love to hear from you. May God bless you. See you next week.